0: I did well enough that I had a very comfortable lifestyle and I could have stopped working. I get more or less could have stopped working and just, you know, lived a modest lifestyle, but what a waste of a life. And I was sitting in, uh, I was actually in, uh, back in Ireland with my parents one Christmas and, uh, dad said, so how's the job going? And I said to him, dad, honestly, I'm just waiting to die because it's just killing me every day. Not that they're a bad company, they're a fantastic company, they treated me very well, but I'd done everything I could do. Every day was the same as the previous day, and next year was going to be the same as this year, and on and on. So I resolved then, look, I've got to do it. And it's like standing on the diving board, and you're up maybe 30 feet in the air, and the pool is down there. And you're saying, how can I get from this board into that pool without taking any risk and without jumping, because jumping is terrifying.
1: So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset join me as i interview some of the world's most successful business owners coaches and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things i'm cody laughlin and this is the money talkers podcast welcome back to money talkers with your host cody laughlin i have a special guest here today i have paul burkett here with me he is the founder of automation finance where they buy distressed debt at a discount and work with the borrower to get them back on track and pay investors what in the whole time doing that and so we're going to dive deeper into that but he's been in finance a very long time he's i'm welcoming him here all the way from dublin ireland and, uh, and I want to say welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks, Cody. Great to be with you. Well, hey, I'm, I'm excited to uh, kind of jump in with you. Um, just in the fact that one, uh, I'm talking to you from Ireland. and I've always wanted to go there. And, uh, <laughs> and two, uh, you've been in finance a long time and I'm kind of a finance nerd. And so uh, when you were in school, did you, when people said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you obviously said, I want to buy distressed mortgages, right? That was the first thing I said.
0: <laughs> I said, like, I, I wanted to be a businessman. I didn't even know what that meant, but I thought it meant going on planes a lot and having meetings and wearing, like, nice suits, living in a big house, maybe getting a Mercedes and maybe a, a house on the beach. It sounded perfect to me.
1: Well, that's, uh, so walk me through how you got from uh, being young Paul wanting to be a businessman to being uh-huh. uh, adult Paul being a businessman
0: um it was a a long and unusual route i guess so the traditional so i grew up in ireland i'm actually back in ireland right now but we're a u.s business i just happened to be in ireland this week um and uh i went through school just like everybody went off to college and straight out of college i had um while i was in my final year um m- cell phones were a new hot thing like a lot of the kids listening will go, wait, wasn't there always cell phones? No, there weren't always. <laughs>
1: oh, every, my kids are six and eight, and every time I tell right. them that, they're still amazed. Like, I've never told them that before. Like, what? Right, right. <laughs> but,
0: but how did you use the internet, Dad? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was no internet. There <laughs> exactly. was the radio and the TV. And the there encyclopedia, was- right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> which, was one of, which ironically was my first job ever in the U S and selling encyclopedias door to door. Right. From, yeah. I remember yeah, they
1: would come in and, uh, every now and then, and like, I don't know, it was like, we, we were like, well, we have the 10 year old version, so we don't have the, the latest right. info. Right.
0: <laughs> right. So when the kids are saying to you, they don't want to do their chores cause they're too hard. Tell them, how about knocking on doors of people you don't know, trying to sell them big books for $600 that, they don't think they need and you've got to drag around in the sun all day that's hard <laughs> that is hard <laughs> so, so um i started this uh, uh cell phone company and we had like three stores retail selling selling phones and then uh, uh procter and gamble i'm still at college and procter and campbell ran this uh weekend in london so i was living in dublin and this weekend in london was basically an extended interview they bring you over put you up in a hotel for three days and you would work all day and all night on the big presentation which had to be done on the sunday afternoon and if you were good enough and your plan was good enough they would give you an entry level job and i my mind was just blown like how little i knew i thought i knew it all because hey i've got three retail stores and you know all that stuff um but i really was just lucky and luck and skill don't ever confuse luck with skill um but i was lucky rather than skillful And cut a long story short, ended up joining Procter & Gamble and worked with them for four years and then joined uh, Pepsi Cola. So I worked there for 18 years in all sorts of different jobs, general management jobs, all sorts of different stuff. And as I was going through that, I was constantly saying to myself, well, look, I'm working in a big corporation, but really I'm a businessman. Like I'm an entrepreneur at heart, but I'm doing nothing about it and so i was uh, i got to the u s in two thousand and ten and uh and the, the the older listeners will remember two thousand and ten was a really dire time for particularly the real estate industry but but the, the world in general because we'd had a, a big financial crisis in 2008 and in 2010 10 percent of people had lost their homes to foreclosure um, so that was a lot of homeless people a lot of there's some movies about it around that time and they're pretty pretty hard to, to watch and um, because of how hard things were for people it's very easy for us to take our easy lives for granted but a shot like that really makes you sit up and pay attention So I got to to, um, uh, the U.S. in 2010, and I was down in Florida in Marco Island on a PepsiCo corporate retreat. So this is a great great area. Oh, it's beautiful. Fancy, fancy. Uh, hotel, golf courses, like think of, you know, real fancy places.
1: They have the most beautiful um, re- palm trees there that are, you oh. know, the, those kings that are 40 feet tall. They're just, they, they line the street with them. It's just gorgeous down there. But yeah. so I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, I was thinking no, about it's, that. It's a great, great spot.
0: And I was at the reception. So it was Sunday afternoon. We were checking out, we'd done our two days of, of planning for the for the year ahead and at reception they have those magazines, the glossy magazines with, Here's where you can go and buy a Maserati, and here's where the fur coat store is, and here's where you can buy you know, Rolexes, whatever. Um, and then at the back, there are always some realtor ads. So I was looking through these homes. Now I come from, from uh, I was living in London just before that. So I was used to houses in London, like a house in London is two or $3 million. That's for the cheapest one. Um, and I'm looking at these houses in Southern Florida and I'm going, hold on, $80,000 for a three bedroom, two bathroom house? there must be like something weird about this. So I called up the the broker and they were in a place called Fort Myers, which is about a two hour drive from where I was. And uh, I said, well, I'll come now. Could you go show me some houses? And so I drove up up to Fort Myers and long story short, I put an offer on one of these houses straight away it was a perfectly good house i said what is wrong here is there a nuclear bunker underneath it is there toxic waste in the yard i mean there's there's no way you can buy a house for 80 grand but it was because of the foreclosure crisis these houses were selling for cheap cheap prices so i ended up buying over the following six or seven months i ended up buying around 20 of these houses so i get a mortgage buy the house and get, rehab the house a little bit, just a few thousand dollars to tidy it up and then rent it out. And there were lots of people who wanted to rent property at that time. And my idea was, um, you know, I've been at Pepsi for at this stage, let's say 15 years. Um, I was 45, let's say, and uh, a bit less than that, but may- maybe I could just retire. I'll buy a bunch of these houses, I'll rent them out and that'll be my That'll be my future. So I was spending all day Saturday, all day Sunday, doing move-ins, move-outs, rehabs, thinking that this was going to be a passive kind of income, but it's anything but passive. I already had a pretty stressful job. I had a three hour commute each day. And then I was working at night and working at the weekends was like, oh, this, is, this is just terrible. And then the most bizarre thing happened, which answers the question you were joking about at the beginning how did you end up in the mortgage business? Because like when you say the mortgage business, like what a snooze, who cares? If <laughs> that right? So I was buying a short sale and a short sale is where the bank agrees to let the house get sold for less than the homeowner owes. So the bank is taking a loss and they're, they're letting the homeowner off the hook, if you like. And I'd forgotten I'd even been approved for this short sale. It was months ago and nothing had happened and I'd just forgotten about it. One day, the bank called and they said, hey, we can't sell you that house the way you wanted to buy it because we've sold the loan. I thought, you've sold the loan? That's a new concept to me. Who did you sell it to, like some other bank? They said, no, no, we sold it to some investment company. I thought that's very strange. Like just some guy? Yeah, I think it's just some guy. Can I talk to him? Because at this time I wanted to buy the home. I didn't understand this about the loans being sold. This seemed odd to me. But cut a long story short, I ended up speaking to the guy. He was buying three or four loans, five loans a year, and working with the borrower or foreclosing and rehabbing the house and reselling it. And two things struck me. The first thing was, huh, I thought I was getting great deals on all these rental houses. Boy, was I overpaying. Because really? yo, I was overpaying by 100%. I could have been buying them for 50 cents on the dollar. If I bought the loans, but I didn't know about buying loans. Um, and then I thought, well, hold on a sec. How many is how many of you got? I asked this guy. He was a retired guy. He was about sixty. He said, oh, I got about one hundred and twenty. And I thought, oh, this is killing me to do thirty, and I've got a full time job, and you've got one hundred and twenty, and you're semi retired. Huh, I'm in the wrong business. So. I started looking online, I went to a few conferences, I bought all the books on the mortgage industry I could find, and discovered how the mortgage industry really works. And there's a reason why they make the mortgage industry and the insurance industry seem as boring and as dry as they possibly can. And the reason is the people in the industry make a fortune and they want to make it as unattractive looking as possible because it's a great business. And the reason it's great business on the mortgage side is simply this. If I buy a house and rent it out, who do you call when the toilet's broken? The landlord. Who do you call when the yard needs work? The landlord. Who do you call when the roof has a problem? The landlord. Do you call the mortgage company? Nope. What do you call the mortgage company for? You don't. You never talk to the mortgage company after the day you get the loan and you speak to them again in 30 years or whenever you pay off the loan. So I'm thinking, hmm, you could own way more mortgages because you don't have to do anything than you could own actual houses. So I'm going to get out of the housing business and figure a way into the mortgage business. And that was seven years ago. And now we manage about 2,500 mortgages, whereas before I was only managing 30 houses.
1: Wow. That's a, uh, that's a big change. I mean, 2,500 right. mortgages is, is is an insane amount of servicing and that kind of stuff. So right. I have some questions along the way as you impact a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things that you said in there was that while you're at Pepsi, you knew you were an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. Uh, two things I want to ask about that. One, how did you know? Two, um, How did you feel? Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I knew because I was the guy who delivered newspapers. I was the guy who mowed lawns. I was the guy who washed cars. I was the guy who never spent any money on anything because I was building up my capital. And I was the guy who started a a cell phone business from my parents' front room and then from a retail store and then from a second and a third. And I slipped into... um, a corporate career out of two things the first thing was i thought i had something to learn and i sure did like i learned a lot but i earned learned 80 percent of it in the first five years why i did the remaining 15 years was really just not cowardice because what they do in big corporations is they say okay cody cody's a good guy cody could make good money here we'll promote him every two or three years and we'll pay him. And he needs to sit there every time he does his objectives at the beginning of the year or whenever he's thinking about his future and go, yeah, I could maybe make more money doing some business on my own, but I'm definitely going to get X dollars this year. And if I stay three years, they give me this other thing. And if I stay another two years, they give me this other thing. And there's a retirement program and, 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 and at the end of the day, that just gnaws away at your ambition." And in my case, it they, I, I, it was it was unfortunate because I did quite well. I wasn't the best guy in the company, and I was never going to be the CEO or anything like that. But I did well enough that I had a very comfortable lifestyle, and I could have stopped working. I get more or less could have stopped working and just you know lived a modest lifestyle. But what a waste of a life! And I was sitting in. Uh, I was actually in uh, back in Ireland with my parents one Christmas. And uh, dad said, so how's the job going? And I said to him, dad, honestly, I'm just waiting to die because it's just killing me every day. Not that they're a bad company. They're a fantastic company. They treated me very well, but I'd done everything I could do. Every day was the same as the previous day. And next year was going to be the same as this year and on and on. So I resolved then, look, I've got to do it. And it's like standing on the diving board and you're up maybe 30 feet in the air and the pool is down there and you're saying how can i get from this board into that pool without taking any risk and without jumping because jumping is terrifying and there's just no way to do it at some point you either regret it for the rest of your life because you're standing there in your (laughs) in your shorts looking in at the water and going i just don't have the, the the courage to jump or you jump and hope for the best, and you can do a lot of things to minimize the risk. But at the end of the day, you've got to jump.
1: Yeah, it's almost like uh, it's almost like you're at that same pool and you're doing the the normal little diving board, the four foot one, right? And you're just doing over yeah. and over and over and over and over, right? And you're just looking at these guys that are on these 30s and right. 50s or whatever they are, and you're just like, right. I want to do that, but I don't. I don't want to climb up there, right?
0: Right. <laughs> And there's no shortcut. No one can do it for you. There is no. You just got to do it.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, that's a brilliant analogy. Um, And so, where did you buy your first note? Like so. So you read the books, right? So so I I think about that, right? So like I I had a company that um, delivered uh, properties that were investment properties, basically from wholesalers, and I connected basically wholesalers with their little lists. To right. general public with a website and and right. tied them up, and so um, because I kept going to property investment um, seminars or you know the guru guys and you can buy right. houses with no money and all that fun yeah, stuff, yeah. right? And uh, and and they I found a stat that said you're ninety seven percent more likely to if you bought a program to buy another program than you ever are to buy an investment property, right? right. And I thought that's sad because you couldn't find the properties, right? Right. So. I could ask you, you know, the nuts and bolts and the details of how do you buy them uh, or, uh, you know, what is buying uh, a distressed note? But how did you actually get the first one where you went from the book knowledge to the practicality of the real world where like you actually pulled it off? And like, what what right. was that like?
0: Um, it, was, it was terrifying. Um, <laughs> That's but, what I was but wondering. It, if it, but, yeah. Well, it really was terrifying because for two reasons. One, foolishly, I spoke to other people about it. And other people said, wait, you're going to buy a mortgage on a house in a recession where house prices are falling every day and the borrower doesn't make payments?
1: <laughs> did you, you have a kind of a, a, did you have kind of a, uh, y- yep.
0: Oh man. <laughs> yeah, but everyone was saying that. And then they go, ah, uh, I've got a car that's on fire. Do you want to buy that too? <laughs> yeah. Pay up quick, <laughs> It's going fast, half off, Half off. But, 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 but I still saw there's an opportunity here because yeah. every time I would lose confidence, I'd go, okay, hold on a second. How much is the house worth? Let's say a hundred grand. Okay. What am I paying for the mortgage? 50 grand. Okay. So if I said to you, do you want to buy a house that's worth a hundred grand for 50? Let's say the house is not worth a hundred. It only comes down to 90. Let's say it's a terrible, it goes down to 80. And I'd looked, I'd followed all the data. Property prices across the country fell about 15 to 20%. So the hundred grand is now worth 80. The worst case it could be is 80. But I'm buying it for 50. So yeah, I hear you, they're not paying. No, no, no. Yeah, I hear you, all of that. That's all true. But let's say the worst possible outcome, what is the worst possible outcome apart from the house burning down the day after I bought it, which by the way has happened. Um, is I'll buy it for 50 and I'll sell it for 80. And I might have to put 10 grand into it for costs and whatever else, but I'm still making something and I don't have to go to Tallahassee to visit, to sign the, thing, da, 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 da. all of this is done remotely because I'm sitting in New York City. And so how did I buy my first note? I bought it exactly like that. It was in, uh, it was Wait, in. But I'm
1: curious, yeah. like, where did you, who did you approach?
0: Everyone. I went to all the conferences. And the thing is, like you were saying about the you're more likely to buy another training program than to do the thing that it says to do in the program. I met lots of people like that. And I thought, wow, these people like going to three-day events. Yeah, they're career seminar people. people like. <laughs> seminar people. Well, I'd never heard of that before. So I, I mean, because they don't have that where I in my growing up, they had it once in a blue moon, but never really. It wasn't like there was a whole industry around it. So I went and I met with all of these people and there were people there selling distressed loans. And I thought, okay, well, let me get all of the distressed loans and see, can I make any of them work? And you do the work by, you know, people say, how do I find my passion? How do I find the thing that I really want to do? And the, the way you do it, I believe, is to do the work in front of you. So am I passionate about doing accounting? I am not. Am I good at accounting? I am not. Do I want to become good at accounting? Eh, Not really prepared to do what it takes, so then no, I'm I'm not. But you can't get by in this world without being able to do some sort of rudimentary analysis, whether it's opening a restaurant or whatever it is, you can't just guess the answers to all the questions. So I got the loans from everybody and I did the analysis and I was able to discount 95% of them for very basic reasons. So I was now down to five loans, let's say out of 100 and I bought the first one uh, for about $30,000. I hired a, uh, uh, the price was $30,000. The first thing I did was I went to a partner who'd done it before and said, I'll put up all of the money. You need to show me how to do it and I'll give you 25% of the profits. So you get the profits just for helping me. It needs to be enough
1: Great great move.
0: Yeah, because I don't know. I could easily have been suckered so easily because I knew And people ask you three questions and at the answer is those three questions. They know, you know, nothing.
1: I just so. think that, I just think that that's a, uh, there's a huge, um, lesson in that and that you were paying for experience. Right. And a lot of people, when they look at deals, especially in the real estate world, they think they, any penny they give away is a loss. And in my mind, that's an insurance policy to, right. to, to, for you, that's, that's a 75% gain, not a 25% loss. Correct. And I think that mindset shift is what keeps a lot of people in the seminar world and not in the doing world right? because they don't have the ability to jump off that 30 foot diving board. Well, they know I take that back. They have the ability. They don't have the courage to do it because they don't know what's down there instead of finding another diver who's done it a thousand times and saying right. hey will you jump with me and I'll pay you for it so that I can right. get coattails and that that exponentially uh pushes your learning curve back right, right? like just makes right. me, you just jump you you jump leaps for that 25 percent of that deal right you know and it's probably and and, and to your you know to the outcome with 2500 notes now right but if you had never right. if you'd never had the courage to go to somebody and say hey I'm gonna pay you make sure I don't get you know, taken to the woodshed on this thing. If you got taken to the woodshed in that first deal, you may not be there with 2,500 notes now. Right. Right. And we Somebody had, said, oh, and all your friends said they were right. Right. All your family said, Oh, I told you, you moral. You bought a note where people aren't paying for it. And you got, you lost $20,000 and how could you do? And you just never do it again. As opposed yep. to saying, Hey, grab this mentor. I gave you $10,000 or $5,000 of profit, which you don't have in the first place. And then right. now, you're like, he walks you through, you learn the very few things that you couldn't learn in a book and right. makes the connections for you. And here you are later. Right? Right. And I think and that's a big out, leap for people.
0: Sure. And it's about reducing the risk. So you go through it and say, okay, hmm. what are all the things that could go wrong? Loads of things is a big long list. Say, well, what is something that I could do to manage that risk? Like a risk identified is the first step. Now you need to manage it. Now, there were some things that we did even on that first loan, which he didn't know anything about. And I didn't know anything about but luckily those things didn't happen. But often on your list, something happens that isn't on your list. So you're trying to get the best brains around you that you can and get out of the idea of, I'm going to hit the ball out of the park. That's a st- if you're hit, if you hit the ball out of the park, that means you're taking too much risk.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh... Yeah, that's a, there's, there's singles, doubles, triples, and home runs, right? Like there's uh, there's there's and and you it's if you if I could give you a ninety percent success rate on a single or a five percent success rate on a home run, you're better off taking the single all day long and hitting a bunch of them, right?
0: All day long, because remember also, while you're waiting for your home run, you're not sleeping at night. Yeah. You're stressed. You you and if anything goes wrong, you've run out of cash, and now your home run is a disaster. So you need to, I'd say about 10% of our returns come from home runs. Yeah. 90% of our return. And you always remember the home runs and you tell everyone about the home That's runs.
1: That's what everybody talks about, right? It's like, right. <laughs> it's like you talk to a gambler and all they talk about is that one time that they made 10 grand at the casino. And it's like, yeah, but you've spent a hundred to get that 10 grand. Right. You right. know, <laughs> I, I would say too the, I would say the home run and in investing and taking risk and those kinds of things is very difficult to systematize, uh, to scale and to teach, right? Like you're, it's more of an opportunity that may have been a one-off and you hit that thing, but you can't really, you can't repeatably teach that either. Like you don't, you can't, you can't teach the scenario, right, it just happened to come up, but you can teach the singles all day long.
0: Right. Right. Warren Buffett is probably the best uh, best investor of our time and he's been investing for 50 years and he's a mathematical genius do long multiplication and long division in his head uh, incredibly quickly and he said in an interview about a year ago if you take out our 10 best weeks in our 50 years if you just take them out as if they didn't happen our results are average so anyone who says they can systematize 10 weeks out of 50 years is telling you a pack of lies
1: and you know um there's such a uh, there's such a bad wave of that right now, where mm-hmm. it's you know the Instagram guru, right? The guy oh. who's oh look at this, I made I traded Bitcoin and I made you know I look at this, I daily trade uh, currencies and look how much I make a ten thousand dollars a day and I'll teach you how and it's like it's so. It's just it's gotten it's gotten kind of crazy now because they have to keep outdoing each other, you know. Right. It seems like, and it's just like yeah. I, I love. There's a guy on YouTube called Coffeezilla, and he just exposes these guys, and no, they just great. it's fantastic. If you've never seen Coffeezilla on on YouTube, it's it's a it's a wonderful watch. Maybe you can watch on the plane back, right? But like, yeah, uh, you'll you'll love it because he he's pulling these guys in. And he's like he's trying to make them pitch their actual home runs that they're teaching because that's what they're showing you great right and then and then yeah. they're they're not making money doing that anymore they're making money selling you a program to that you may one day be able to do that right
0: much easier to do that
1: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so um tell me about this so when you buy you're buying so now you've built this thing up right and you've got yeah. you've got people in place you've got systems in yeah. place you've got connections and they the loans are coming to you now as opposed to you go looking for them i'm assuming mm, right? no
0: i start, i spend 80 percent of my time going looking for them. hunting 50, really? Correct. Oh, yeah. really oh that's yeah that's
1: amazing yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So you're still out, you're still out hunting and, mm-hmm. uh, somebody, so you're buying a house, not by a house. You're buying a note for, let's yep. just use your, your exam, same example, right? The house is worth a hundred grand. You're buying yep. the note for 50. Let's yep. say that note was $120,000 is what yep. the borrower owed. Right. Yep. Because yep. that's why they're in the position they are people say, why don't you sell the house? Because you can't sell the house because you owe more than right. it's worth. Right. And so you're buy that house for, you buy that note for $50,000.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you a do you own that mortgage? You own the the hundred and twenty thousand dollar mortgage for fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Can you reduce that and working things out with the borrower? Because I would imagine the ultimate goal would be to keep the person there if they're a good you know if they're if they're a good candidate. Let's just mm-hmm. we'll put that as a as a caveat. But like they're a good candidate, but like they can afford an eighty thousand dollar note, not a right. hundred and seventy thousand dollar note they originally had because their payments are way different because they have to readjust. Can you do that? Can you, can you, um, adjust
0: the, the. Principle. Principle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the secret of the whole business. So if let's say, so why do people stop paying their mortgage? They don't just say, Hey, I think I'm going to stop paying. Something happens. They lose their job. They get sick. There's divorce. Something happens that there's a life event. Let's call it. That makes them.
1: I I would say too, there were a big subset of people in that, that, 09, 10, 11, 12 period, that mm-hmm. especially like a Fort Myers type area, right? Yeah. Where the house was worth 300 grand. They have a mortgage for 200 and all of a sudden the house is worth 100. Yes. Right. It was crazy. And so, and then those people just gave up because they were like, I'm never going to be able to pay this off. Yeah, never. Yeah. will just go bankrupt. It's just terrible. Yeah. I'll just walk away and see you when you see you, right?
0: Right. And so let's take that Southern Florida example. The house is worth 100, but their loan is for 200. They're never going to pay that back because they only make, 50 grand a year the household income whatever it is it's just like 10 years it'd be better to start again yeah their mortgage is probably with some bank that everyone has heard of if that bank let's call it abc bank if abc bank says hey you know what cody i know it's been tough what we'll do is we'll extend your loan from 30 years to 40 years and we'll write down the principal from 200 grand to 100 grand." guess what you're going to tell all your buddies and everyone at abc bank is every one of their loans will stop paying because it'll quickly get out that wow these guys do deals hurrah so abc bank are better off selling it to someone like us like who's ever heard of automation finance nobody two and a half thousand people out of 60 million or 30 million uh, mortgages in the us so i mean it's nothing so um we can do what no one else can do so If you have a guy living in a 100 grand house with a 200 grand mortgage, you're never getting 200 grand. So you might as well just face facts and say, look, we're going to write down your loan from 200 to 100. Because remember, we only paid 50 for that. We're Mm -hmm. not going to pay off the balance of the loan because we're never getting that money. And so we're in the business of sharing the discount with the borrower. So we write down payments. We extend the loan term. We reduce their interest. We do anything we can to get them to a payment and the payment so long as the payment is around 75 percent of what it would be to rent that house because if you foreclose and take the house and the house ends up on flip that home or one of those tv shows that's a dis displaced family that family needs to live somewhere else well they're going to rent somewhere eventually the life event passes and the guy gets a job or whatever and they have to rent a house so why would you lose your home and have to rent somewhere when your mortgage payment is cheaper than the rent is going to be by quite a bit. Mm. That's that's really the pitch to the homeowner. If the homeowner wants that, we will keep you in your home for 75% of what you would be paying in rent. And so that's, that's, the way that's really
1: going. interesting that you're able to reset that uh after the purchase because you must have some I mean, I, I get you. Probably have some people that completely avoid the conversation, but you must have some people that are just ecstatic
0: oh, to, they to have flowers. a
1: situation uh, to have have someone because all you ever feel because I went through it, you know. Yeah. I went I went through it with a condo, and it's part of my story that I tell people. Like, it was it was awful, and but I felt hopeless, and I was trying to short sale it, and I had a mortgage company, and I couldn't get it yeah. through the short sale office. I knew I had a package of mortgage, obviously, you know, and so like yeah. I couldn't get through. And I could imagine. I was like, "Listen, this doesn't make sense. Like, you don't want to take this condo back." At that point, at in the time, they couldn't, like you said, they couldn't give me the deal because, well, yeah. one, they didn't want to take it back. It took them two years anyway to, yeah. to process through. But um, that's gotta that's gotta be so encouraging sometimes in some of those situations to have people feel that sense of relief that there's a partner, a bank cares about them. You know, for sure. all purposes, what you guys do is banking. You know, and so. Um, there's got to be some pretty good stories in there.
0: Oh, so many. I mean, we talk to people and the, our biggest problem is when you talk to the borrower, they just don't believe you because they've been battling away with ABC Bank for two years saying, I don't have 200,000. I'm just trying to keep a roof over my family's head. What are we going to do here? And ABC Bank is saying, well, sorry, you're going yeah, to have 200. Yeah. So, okay, well, I'm not sure what I can do there. And so then they bury their heads and then the ABC bank starts foreclosure. And so then they bury their heads and go, Oh God, we're going to lose our home. And then eventually it comes to us and they think we're just the same as everyone else. So they avoid us, you know, they try and like, Oh, just don't pick up the phone and don't respond to the letter. <laughs> but eventually we get them. And sometimes we even send housing counselor out to knock on the door and say, listen, these guys are trying to help you. They're not trying to, we don't want your house out of 2,600 loans we have taken 60 houses Mm. and you can imagine some of the houses end up to be vacant. Sometimes the borrowers, I mean, I don't know, crazy is a tough word, but why would you not want to keep your house when I'm writing down the balance to what the value of the house is?
1: Yeah. If I wrote you a check for the difference, you'd take it.
0: Yeah. It's a free bet. (laughs) You're saying that your house, your hundred grand house that was worth 300, that's fallen to 100. You think it's going to stay at 100 forever or go to zero? It's not, it's going to go back to 300. Now I'm not saying it's going to happen in a year, but lots of those homes that I bought back in 2010 for 80 grand are now worth 300 grand. Yeah, easy down there in Fort like Myers. They're worth, just, a, yeah. they're worth a lot of money. Hmm. And so people always trying to get the quick answer, the quick thing, you know, and, and also you've got a feel for them because they've been battling away with a faceless mortgage company for two years. And all they get are these computerized letters that just say, dear Mr. Smith, you are now, 54 payments behind your house will be taken that's pretty it's easy thought, to and that, yeah, and that's it's
1: the stress and uh, i can i don't blame them for being avoidance either because it'd just be yeah. like this is too good to be true feeling you know right
0: but you you get them on track and they say well look i can't afford to pay 1100 a month but i can afford to pay 750 oh, so wow,
1: cool. You're you're in this, and I want to ask, like, because I have very conflicting feelings about it right now. But like, what do you see getting ready to happen in the next twelve to eighteen months?
0: Hmm. Um, So the pandemic started in about March, maybe April. Let's say it started in April. And Fannie and Freddie, which are the two government entities, and they own about eighty percent of all the mortgages. They came out really quickly and said, "Look." to the loan servicers, which are the people who do the admin work for, for the mortgages, and they said, "Look, any own, any loan that we own, we will give six months forbearance. So forbearance means we we are not forgiving you anything. We're just saying we will not collect the payment this month or next month, and up for the for the next six months. Um, and so that's fine. And the other 20% of the mortgage market is non-government owned." So they're the riskier mortgages. They're people who run their own businesses or people who don't have W-2, which is the standard kind of uh, income from an employer. Maybe they've got investment income or some some non just regular job people. Um, and those loans, um, the so, so that that's what's happened. The, the forbearance, which was announced in March, was then an, uh, re-announced in August. So everyone is okay until next March uh, for the 80% of people whose loans are owned by the government. But for the other 20%, they have a real problem. A lot of them are entrepreneurs, and a lot of them are uh, homes that are rented. So 50% of all the rental homes in the US are owned by mom and pop um, operators who own one rental home. This is not corporations that are thousands of houses there are a few of those but mostly that's not what's happening it's one home and the tenants are not paying so when the forbearance runs out there's going to be a problem because none of those people have savings of twenty thousand or thirty thousand dollars to go oh here you go here's all the missed payments this is going to be a lot of loans going uh, bad and they're going to start going bad around probably the last probably november december of this year through to middle of next year when reality hits that the economy is not snapping back. I mean, can you imagine being a restaurant operator or a bar operator or a travel and lodging or hospitality? I mean, you've got, I think, 10% occupancy right now across the US. You can't even pay the taxes, never mind the salaries and all the insurance and everything else. So all of those mortgages are going to go you know, bad. And the question is, will there be a federal program to solve all those problems? And there just can't be, I don't believe, because the number, the sum of money you'd be talking about, would just be absolutely staggering. So those loans will have to go through the the uh, foreclosure process, and they'll probably come to um, someone like us. Not all of them, obviously, because it'll be, you know, millions of loans, several million loans. But you know, we'll probably maybe forty or fifty thousand we could handle.
1: So, um, thinking that through, I mean, obviously that's heartbreaking because I went through the process, uh, 10 years ago or, uh, so 12 years ago and not to sound callous to it, because obviously I'm sensitive to it, but, um, that's an, wherever there's troubles, there's opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, someone has to help service those things. And what you guys do is to me, probably the best solution of all. Which is yeah. trying to work it out um, and and to you know fix the things that that are broken because they're already been broken. So now, how do you right. fix it? Right, you got to find the entrepreneurs because right. that's we're the only ones that, that see those kind of problems and want to run at them. Right. Um, how uh, how would someone work with a company like yours? Like, do you guys have investors? Do you have? Yeah. Um, you know, because the situation is going to happen. So you can say, well, ah, you know, I don't, I don't want to be involved with that, but that's a solution at least instead right. of just putting our head in the sand. Cause it's going to get 10 times worse.
0: Right. Well, it's definitely going to happen. I mean, yeah. the question is how big is it going to be like 2008? I don't think so. Is it going to be big? Yes. Um, the number of loans going into foreclosure since 2008 has been super, super low, almost zero so we can only go up from zero can't go below zero so it's going to go up there's a lot of distress there's still 20 million people unemployed Um, it's a lot of unemployment and a lot of people not making their payments so what are we going to do about it so when i started the business i bought a few loans i was pretty successful so i went to wall street and i raised some money and uh, i bought more loans Um, and then i thought well i'm just a regular guy and we're helping regular people why do i need to and when i look at the returns that we made so we made about 17 percent return a year which is not bad for real estate it's actually very good for real estate because it's very low risk in my opinion now secured with secured against a house the house would have to fall to 50 cents on the dollar if housing falls to 50 cents on the dollar then we all have much much bigger problems to worry about than our returns like food and things so I don't think there's always a risk. There's no investment with that risk, or there's no, yeah, there's no investment that's risk free. So what we said, well, well, rather than paying the return to wall street, why don't we make this investment available to anyone who wants to get involved? So we said, okay, why don't we go to the sec and get approved as a fund operator? So that's what we did. And that took about two years to get done. And just this time last year, we started a fund where, Anyone, any regular member of the public with $250 to invest can put money into this um, and we pay 8% a year return. So half of the return that we've historically made goes to the investor, half comes to us to to run the business. We don't charge any fees and we don't lock you in for uh, any particular period of time. The fund has a five year life and we offer best efforts, liquidity, which means if you want to get out, we will, assuming there's money in the fund, which there's always been money in the fund so far, but you never know what will happen in the future, but um, you can get in and get out. So we get people who've got money in their IRA or money, you know, sitting on deposit earning zero, and they say, well, why don't I put it in here at 8%? And if I need it, you know, I can just tell them and get it back. Now you might not be able to get it back in a week, it might take a month or it might take longer. But so far we've been able to accommodate uh, any requests for for redemptions. But well,
1: how would you how would you buy that? Like how would you if I've got two hundred and fifty dollars and I'm I'm yeah. I'm wanting to get into automation finance, what how would I buy that? How would I buy in that fund?
0: Go to automationfinance.com and click on the link. And you have to fill in a few forms. It's not like buying something on eBay, you know, there's we've got to do some qualification and some forms to fill. But I mean, most probably 99% of the people who've invested are still doing it and putting more money in because it's helping people and 8% return. And if you leave the 8% in, you're getting 8% on the 8%. you can get a check every month if you wish or leave it in and let it ride. And as anyone who understands compound interest, That's the secret. Put as much money away as you can put, and just forget about it. And avoid fees. Fees are what kill you. A lot of these, a lot of the mutual funds. Oh, you're getting seven percent return a year. Well done. But we charge one percent fees. Oh, so you're only getting six percent return. Well, over thirty years, a third of your total return is taken up in fees, and no one explains that to you. You've got to really dig to figure that one out.
1: Yeah, one. It's just one percent. Yeah, it's massive over time. It's unbelievable. But um, listen, uh, Paul, I want to say thank you for coming on Money Talkers and diving deep into that with me. Um, I it's it's a fascinating business, and it's also I I I love the fact that there's a um, like a component to trying to find a solution instead of just the little guy getting it from the bank and you know uh, because if you're ever on the other side of that, all you're wondering is like why won't they just why don't they, why don't, why don't we work this out? Or why won't they help right. me? Or why won't, well, this doesn't make any sense to me, you yeah. know? And so uh, I think it's a wonderful uh, solution to a terrible situation. And so um, thank you for doing what you're doing. And uh, and, and if people want to find out more about you, head to automationfinance.com um, yeah. and, and really kind of learn. And, and, and really, I think, educate yourself because I think there's about to be an opportunity on scale coming in in 12 to 18 months or so in my mind, if not even sooner. So Um, I want to say thank you for coming on Money Talkers and and sharing
0: your story. Thanks, Cody, it was a pleasure to be with you.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers Community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram, at The Money Talkers, for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a Money Talker.